0: Thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, last week we were left with one of the most unfortunate conflicts in the New Testament. We saw Paul and Barnabas in this violent, angry, uh, angry, uh, emotion-fueled split. And one of the things we took away from last night or last week is that we see God working out all of these differences, all these disagreements. We see God working these things out. And actually, the the disagreement we read in Acts chapter 15 actually leads to the spread of the gospel even further than, than perhaps it was even trending in that day. We see that the gospel continues to go far beyond the region of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria And now the church has been empowered with a fresh vision in Acts chapter 15 for how Gentiles and Jews could work together in the church, how the church is now growing both numerically and and spiritually. And so so God's really done a great work through this, this conflict. And this is where we pick up our journey from last week. And so join me in Acts chapter 16. If you're able, please stand with me as we read from Acts chapter 16 this morning. Beginning there in verse 1. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Father, I thank you for the encouragement of the Apostle Paul. I thank you, Father, for Timothy and for his ministry with this missionary team. I thank you, Father, for your work in their life and ultimately for the consequences of this decision. Um, We're a church in America today, and in so many ways we can trace that, our existence even, back to the work that takes place here in Acts chapter 16. Um, I pray you would help us to understand these words better, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, last week, as we looked at these, these verses from Acts chapter 15, we couldn't help but notice that, that the conflict between Paul and Barnabas was not the most spiritually significant activity. They just got into an argument. They were fussing and fighting and and fuming. And, And principally, they didn't agree about the role that John Mark would have in their missionary efforts. But we found that they didn't really seek the Lord in that whole ordeal. And so these two great missionaries became emotional, became hostile, and the only outcome for them was to part ways. As we said last week, John and Barnabas, they head to the coast And Barnabas is never heard from again in the pages of Scripture. Paul and Silas head north on a land route, and that's where our text picks up today in Acts chapter 16. I would encourage you that if you're reading the book of Acts on your own and doing independent study, it's really helpful to flip to that last section in your Bible where the maps are. Because the maps really help to highlight where they are and the, the direction that they're going. And so even if you're not geographically blessed and, and you know, maybe you struggle uh, you know, getting out of your neighborhood, the, the maps really help to bring, bring to light the, the trajectory of the story in the book of Acts. And so Paul and Silas take a land route, and it's here where we meet one of the younger heroes in our New Testament, the, the young man known as, as Timothy. Timothy. I don't have time to take a deep dive into Timothy's story, uh, although looking further into, into kind of my, my preaching plan, I believe Timothy's our next New Testament series is 1st and 2nd Timothy after, uh, after we finish Acts and spend some time in the Old Testament. Um, but the thing that, that comes to mind when we get into chapter 16 is simply this, and this is true for us today, we really need to learn to look for God to work in the midst of trying circumstances. We need to learn to look for God to work in the midst of trying circumstances. You see, God is able to take the unfortunate outcome of Paul and Barnabas' split, and he's able to do something absolutely stunning and remarkable with it. I don't think for a second that Paul and Barnabas should have gone separate ways in the manner in which it happened. I don't think that that it was beneficial for the church for them to go through that, that sort of violent breakup that they did. I don't think that was helpful at all. Now, maybe the, the thing they could have done, they could have reached an amicable consensus that their talents were best deployed in two separate teams. But even that is a better outcome than to split up over a bitter disagreement. And again, we talked about this last week. The Bible doesn't tell us who was right or wrong, but it certainly does lead us to believe that they parted ways over this, this terrible disagreement. I want to encourage you today, maybe you've got a recent disaster in your life, a recent decision in your life, a recent, a recent mishap in your life, and, and you look at the consequences and you look at the circumstances and you realize today that what has happened is something that you can't undo. You ever been in that place where you make a decision or you, 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 make, a, uh, you make a plan or you, you have a relationship that, that falls apart and, and you get past it and you look back and you think that was a disaster. And if you could just rewind the tape, if you, could just, if you could just take the time back, you'd do it all over again. You'd do it totally differently. But you look at your life today and you think, I can't undo it. The damage is done, the consequences are, are, have, have been enacted. I can't fix the mistake that's been made. I want to encourage you today don't think for a second that your life is ruined. Don't think for a second that God is finished with you, that God can't do anything with you. The road forward in your life may look very different, but understand this, that if you are in Christ, God is not finished with you yet. Paul understood this all too well. He would explain it to the Corinthians this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power of "...to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We were afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed." The Apostle Paul says this treasure, talking about the gospel, the gospel treasure, is kept in in a clay vessel. That clay vessel is, is us. We are that clay vessel. And one of the things that we understand about clay vessels is clay is not a very sturdy structure. You know it's good for growing a flower you can fill it up with dirt but I I think of a clay pot how easily it's broken how easily it's chipped how easily it's damaged how you knock a clay pot off a shelf and you've got a pile of dirt on the ground right with clay with clay shards in it clay is not it's not strong it's not sturdy it's fragile and he says that that's who we are we're not strong we're not sturdy we're fragile and so our lives uh, very much are, are are in that way you say but I'm I'm strong I don't you know we're really not in the grand scheme of things. We're really not. We're pretty frail when it really comes down to it. And when we look at our lives, we can see our lives are riddled with mistakes and errors, and it may seem like as you look at your life that those mistakes and errors are far too great for God to overcome. But understand this, God's not through working yet. And it may be that in the midst of those mistakes and errors, that God is ready to do something significant. We understand what happens here. We go back to 15 and we see this terrible argument, this, this terrible mistake that is made between Paul and Barnabas where they, they split ways and, and go their separate ways in the middle of this emotionally charged disagreement that they have. We have this terrible conflict. And you could see where Paul and Silas going one way and Barnabas and John going another, where they'd be sulking and grumpy and mad and, and just, just defeated. Look what happens in the midst of Paul and Silas' work. They meet Timothy. God brings Timothy into the picture. And Timothy would become one of Paul's most dependable, trustworthy companions. You see, a bad decision in Antioch was not the undoing of the church. It wasn't something that was going to stop the the gospel from, from going forward. A bad decision in your life is not the end of the story. It doesn't have to be the end, but recovering from that bad decision does require something from you. It requires you to get back to work. It requires you to get back to faithfulness. It requires you to get back to obedience sooner than later. If you wallow around in your own misery and mire and you don't get back to obedience and faithfulness, don't be surprised to see that God doesn't work in your life. But if you'll reconvene with him, if you will go back to obedience and go back to faithfulness, you will see that God's not finished with you yet. How many of us, how many of us know people today who've allowed a bad decision or a falling out at church to affect them far longer than it should have? I think we all can identify people in our lives where, where they got mad at church and maybe they've not been to church since. I mean, I know people that this has gone on for, for decades and you go back and say, what happened? Why don't you go to church? Well, because I, this church 10 years ago did this. It's like, so did you just give up? I mean, was that, that's the end? You're finished? Well, that's not the pattern that God shows us in Scripture. Because what God wants to do is God wants to use the lessons that are learned, the mistakes that are made. Those things are designed to make us better. Those things are designed to to make us stronger. Those things are designed to make us more faithful. It doesn't mean that we go through life looking for trouble to make us better. I mean, there's places we could go this afternoon. We could get into trouble. That doesn't mean we go looking for trouble. But when it finds us, when we find ourselves in the midst of it, when our own foolishness leads us into that, God says, let me use this to grow you and strengthen you and, and make you more and more in my image. Let me use the error to do a work in your life. I think we can understand in our fallen world, we don't have to work real hard to find trouble. We we understand it can find us pretty easily without our help. But when it does show up in our lives, we ought to be good stewards of it and put it to work for God's glory. So now Paul and Silas have a new traveling companion, Timothy. They're visiting churches They're encouraging churches. We find the churches growing. It's been a tough season, but there's finally some fruit coming to bear as they resume their faithfulness, as they resume the work that God has called them to do. But notice as they go about the journey what happens. When Luke is recording this for us, he returns to the language about God's guidance in the journey. Did you pick up on this? See, back in chapter 15, when they're splitting, you don't see a whole lot of talk about God. It's kind of they part ways without bringing the Lord into this. But as they go on this new journey, we find that God is working and they're listening to the Lord. We see that, that, that they're, they're hearing God give them direction and, and, and wisdom and vision for where to go. We can cl- clearly see, if you go look at a map, you can see that God is funneling this mission team in a very specific and very obvious direction. God is guiding them in a, it's a, it's a pathway if, if there ever was a pathway. At the same time that God is leading them on this pathway, I imagine that it was very frustrating because they kept getting roadblocks. They kept getting shut down. And the thing we have to grasp is this, is that in the face of closed doors, we've got to remain faithful. In the face of not being able to do what we want to do, we must remain faithful. On at least two different occasions, we read here that the travel plans that these missionaries had came to a stop because of divine redirection. The first stop that they encountered was in Asia. Not the continent, but it was the small province where Ephesus was located. God does a great work in Ephesus. There's a church in Ephesus. Some of Paul's closest church friends are in Ephesus. But on this trip, God said, I don't want you going to Ephesus. I don't want you to go go into Asia. It may have been for Paul that going there was convenient. It was safe. It was somewhere where he knew he could go and find friends. And God said, I don't want you going there now. We find again, Paul tries to head to the province known as Bithynia. Perhaps he's got his eye on some of the cities there around the Black Sea. Again, look at a map and you can see how all this plays out. But God shuts down that direction as well. Now, we don't know what caused what what tools God used to, to give them direction. Uh, perhaps it was just a, a sense of being unsettled. Have you ever had that situation in your life where, where you're, you're seeking the Lord and, and one pathway just seems uneasy? I, I just, there's something about this pathway that I'm unsettled about, but this pathway over here, it seems that, it seems that all the arrows are pointing in this direction. There's, there's peace, and, and I'm settled in my soul going in this direction, but in this direction, I'm just unsettled. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that was the, the way that they listened to it. Maybe you've experienced that. There's a decision looming. You're just not comfortable with that decision that you've got to be made, uh, that you've got to make. Or, or maybe you're, you're really comfortable with it and you can't explain why. Some commentators believe that Paul's health was the biggest contributing factor. We can identify with that today. We see where health decisions today are affecting all of us in different ways. Well, I can't do this or I can't do that because I've got this or I've got that. And so our health plays in in a major way. And the reason they say this is because if you read in the book of Acts, in verse 10 of chapter 16, the, the pronoun, we're all about pronouns today, right? The pronoun changes, and it goes from they to we. And that means that the guy writing it is now involved in the story. And so Luke is there with them as in in verse 10 of chapter 16, which means that that maybe they had to go find a doctor. And Dr. Luke joins the team. And now we are on this journey together. But what we do know about this journey across the southern region of Turkey is that it had to be very frustrating. You ever had a frustrating season? I think we all have. Trying to seek God's will. And it just seems that you keep running into closed doors, missed opportunities. Paul reminds us here of what matters is, is not the progress that we make, but whether or not we are faithful to listen to the Lord and patient as we wait upon the Lord. That's what matters. Not, not did, we, did we get to the end of the journey? Did we complete it? No, what God's looking for is just daily obedience, daily faithfulness, daily listening. Daily waiting upon the Lord. Now, we've read ahead. We know there's a breakthrough coming once they reach the coast, once they reach this town called Troas. But it takes a lot to get there. It takes a lot of nose. It takes a lot of closed doors. It takes a lot of frustration to get there. I don't know. What keeps Paul going? You see, Paul has a laser-sharp focus on what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He, he talks about all the frustrations in his life, but he says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's his laser-sharp focus in his life, that, that all the frustrations, all the hardships, all the trials, all the difficulties that he experienced, that all those things have worked together to truly advance the gospel. He looks at the, the, the hardships of his life, the frustration that he experienced here. He looks at all these things, and he understands That God has a greater purpose in mind than what he could see all the time. God has a greater purpose in mind for us than what we can see all the time. Paul understood that he was not responsible for outcomes. He was simply responsible for being faithful and being obedient. So if we're listening to the Spirit, like Paul and his companions are, then closed doors don't actually have to be a frustration. In fact, closed doors can be a great encouragement. Closed doors are a good thing, right? If you're walking in a direction and God says, don't go that way. Praise God. How many of us wish that the Lord would have shut the door on some things in our life before we, before we stumbled in that direction? If we could have just had that door shut, that sure would have saved a lot of hardship and a lot of suffering and a lot of trial, but we wouldn't have learned what we learned from it, would we? Closed doors can be an encouragement They're a reminder that God is working in us and through us, that God has a plan in place for our lives that's better than anything that we could come up with on our own. I'm reminded of Abraham and Sarah. Old Testament, some heroes of the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, God promises them he's going to do something great in their life. He promises Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a child, but they're old. They're too old to have children. Sarah's frustrated because she's kept getting closed doors. She's not had a baby. She's getting too old to have babies. She can't have babies anymore. So clearly God messed up, so let's help God out. They inject Hagar into the situation. That wasn't the best plan. A closed door would have been great there, but God didn't close that door. God was moving too slow, so instead of patiently waiting on God, they, brought, they, they forced the situation. And the decision that Abraham and Sarah made to bring Hagar into the equation is a decision that would haunt his descendants. Some might even argue that it continues to haunt his descendants today because of forcing God to act instead of patiently waiting on the Lord. After this difficult season of closed doors, our missionary team gets as far as they can via land. They've reached the end of the road, and they finally get their breakthrough. As Paul was sleeping, he has a dream. And in the dream, a man from Macedonia appears, asking Paul for help. Some have suspected that maybe Paul saw Alexander the Great in his dream as a kind of a stand-in for the people of Macedonia. We don't know. He didn't tell us. But this vision that Paul has, after a tremendous season of frustration and closed doors, this vision that Paul has leads to one of the greatest turning points in history, and that is not an overstatement. If you want to trace the development of Western civilization back to an event, it's this vision and Paul's response to this vision. And this is the third thing I want us to take away today is we need to be obedient to God's clear guidance. There's a word in those last two verses of Acts chapter 16, um, found in verse 10 there. And that word is, uh, if you're an underliner, you need to underline this word. And that word is, uh, they concluded. They concluded, What does that mean? To conclude here. That is, it almost carries a sense of something's finished, that they, they've concluded something, that they've reached the end here. But actually, the word here means to, to, to bring together, to coalesce, or to knit together. What, what actually it means is that, is that Paul and his associates here, they took all of the facts of their trip, They took the vision of the Macedonian man. They took all the frustration, all the closed doors, all the open doors. They took all these things and brought it into into the decision-making pile, and they came to only one possible conclusion. They concluded this. They put it all together. They knit it all together that God, through all of this, was clearly pointing them in one specific Direction. All the decisions that they made on the journey were leading to this conclusive, history-altering decision to step onto a boat in the little town called Troas. Say, Pastor, you're, you're placing a lot of emphasis on a decision to, to, to get on a boat. You better believe it. Because their decision to get on that boat took the gospel not into Asia, but into Europe. And... As a group of of American citizens, who most of us generally can trace our lineage back to European descent, we understand that the gospel breaking forth into Europe was a tremendous civilization-altering event. This event would become the gateway to evangelizing Athens. This event would be the gateway that would eventually lead to Rome. And suddenly this little regional offshoot of Judaism became a major player on the world stage. It is no exaggeration to say that stepping on that boat in Troas was the first official intentional step of taking the gospel to the nations. And here we are in Flintstone, Georgia, of all places, talking about Jesus... I believe because Paul and Silas and Timothy said yes to that boat in Troas, we can trace it to there. You may not think that your life and work are all that significant. I imagine that in the grand scheme of things, Paul and Silas and Timothy probably felt pretty small and insignificant as well. Three or four guys in the middle of a vast nation of people that didn't know know anything about the gospel. This this handful of guys with the burden of sharing the gospel with this with this this new people in Macedonia and beyond. They probably felt small and insignificant. They probably felt like frustrated missionaries with no clear end in mind, but God was ordering steps, closing doors and opening doors. And what at that time probably felt like a list of decisions, that may have seemed insignificant those decisions that they were making forever changed history we're faced with decisions every day most of the decisions we make seem inconsequential y'all are going to make a decision here as soon as i finish about uh invariably what's going to happen here as soon as you get in the parking lot where are we eating lunch right some of you got somebody cooking something at home, and that's great. But we're going to be faced with that decision. Where are we eating lunch today? And the family's going to go back and forth about where do they, what they had last week, or what's, you know they're going to have those conversations. The decision about where you eat lunch today probably seems very inconsequential. What if it's not? What if it's not? I imagine stepping on a boat in Troas, seemed like a pretty inconsequential decision at the time. But it wasn't. See, none of us are guaranteed that any of our plans or decisions will have the level of consequence that we read about here in Acts chapter 16. But what if they do? What if that decision to go to lunch here means you have a gospel conversation with a waitress or a waiter who's at work there, and suddenly that waiter or waitress does something remarkable that you would have never even imagined? What if you make a decision to help lead that Sunday school class, that, that little kid's Sunday school class, right? You made that decision, and you know what? It, it, it's going to take a lot of work. You're going to be in there every Sunday, and there are going to be days that they want to make you pull their hair. You, want, you don't want to pull their hair out. We would discourage that. They make you want to pull your hair out. And they drive you up the wall. But then there was that lesson where you shared the gospel with that group of third graders And little Johnny in your third grade Sunday school class, it clicked. And little Johnny says, I want to give my life to Christ. And you have the joy of of leading that third grader to Christ in your Sunday school class. And little Johnny goes and gets baptized. He comes before the church and he becomes part of the church. And little Johnny grows up, he goes to youth group and he and he and he learns about what he could do as a missionary, or he learns what it he goes to camp and he knows that God may be called him to preach. And what if little Johnny grows up to pastor a church where where tens of thousands of people hear the gospel and people are saved, all because you made a decision? To help teach that third grade Sunday school class. May have seemed inconsequential, but we don't know the consequences. Of the decisions that we make. Your day-to-day obedience to the Lord doesn't always have the last chapter revealed. When Paul received the vision, what was he doing? Well, he wasn't leaving Antioch. He didn't get the vision until he was asleep listening to the sound of the Mediterranean lap up on the shore and the sound of seagulls in the distance. That's when he received the vision when the journey was at a dead end. There was nowhere else to go. Every other direction was shut down. But here he had this vision as it was time to either go home or get on the boat. God gave him the vision when he had all the pieces to put in place. And many times the trajectory of our lives follows the same pathway. What we have to do is live our lives in daily obedience, in daily submission to Christ, Because we need to understand this. God has a better plan for your life than you do. God has a better plan for your life than you do. And I know in my life, and you probably could testify to this as well, when I take control and I try to do it my way and I try to listen to my want-to's, and, and, and I, I, I exclude the Lord from those, from those decisions. I can derail the train faster than anybody else. I can mess up quicker than anybody else. And so I need to make sure that I am daily listening to the Lord, that I am daily living in obedience and submission to Christ because I understand inherently that God's got a better plan for me than I have a plan for me which comes to the simple question. Today, am I gonna be obedient to Jesus today? Am I gonna be obedient to Christ tomorrow? And our answer to that simply needs to be yes. And again, obedience and listening to the Lord, it doesn't guarantee that we won't be frustrated. I can promise you there's going to be a lot of frustrating days where you want to go and the Lord says no, and you want to stay and the Lord says go. There's going to be those all kinds of frustrating days. You may even find that the frustrating days outnumber the other days. We want the pieces in place, but we miss the simple truth because getting the pieces in place may very well be part the journey that God has for us you know I've never been much for puzzles some of y'all love to put puzzles together and uh and I mean like even the little 10 piece kids puzzles like those those are those are daunting to me um I just I look at a a puzzle and it's just a mess right I mean uh I mean let me go get the artist's original work, and I'll appreciate that, but you cut it up into little pieces and want me to put it back together, I mean, that just doesn't work for me. But I do know something about putting puzzles together. You open the box and you're looking at the jumbled mess, what do you got to do first? You got to find them edge pieces. And it's really nice if you can find those corner pieces, because that starts to put framework around the work that has to be done. You find those edge pieces, you get those laid out, and maybe you start to collect the colors together. You know, it's a sunset, so all the orange pieces probably go where the sun is, right? At some point, you conclude the puzzle when you've got all the pieces put together. And if you're lucky, you've got a good picture on the box of what you're supposed to be doing. I want the answer, I want the finished product. I want the, 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 the picture without the work. That's not how God often works, is it? What God wants us to do is faithfully find the edges, faithfully find the structure, faithfully find those pieces that give us guidance. And as we are obedient, as we're faithful, as we look for the Lord, we eventually get to that desired outcome. But it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of determination. But more than that, it takes a lot of faithfulness to get there. And so if there's any encouragement for us today as we read through this outcome of this terrible argument in Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 16 challenges us in this way. Stay faithful. When life is hard, stay faithful. When the illness won't end, stay faithful. When the job still stinks, stay faithful. When the pieces aren't there, stay faithful. God wants us to be obedient daily, each and every step, each and every decision, for his good and for his glory. Stay faithful. Would you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for the encouragement of Paul and Silas and Timothy and and even Luke. God, I thank you for their faithful obedience in a frustrating season. I thank you, Lord, that they may not have uh, had the answers when they began their journey. In fact, they began their journey under hostility and conflict, and it seemed like everything was, was coming unglued. But God, thank you that you fix the broken pieces. That you can take the worst mistakes of our lives and you you can do amazing things with those mistakes. Thank you, Lord, that you can take the decisions that we make. The inconsequential decisions that don't seem like they amount to much could be the decisions that change somebody's life. And so, Lord, may we be faithful in those decisions. May we listen to you. Look for closed doors and open opportunities. God, help us be faithful daily. Lord, I pray that if there's any here today that need to give their life to Christ, that today would be a day that they would follow Jesus. Understanding today that the plan you have for their life is better than the plan they have for their life. And that the outcome you want from their life is, is eternal life. And the outcome that we have for our lives apart from Christ is, is death. So Lord, if there's any here today that are listening in this room or from home, may they seek your face and be willing to trust Christ today. For the sins of Jesus. Name. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 10:45. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.